Welcome to the Cross Yas Podcast, a podcast that says Yas to cross-dressing, sexuality, and gender. I'm your trans woman host, Billy. Uh, sometimes I'm the host of this podcast, I guess. Uh, it's been a while. I'm sorry. I'm so bad at putting episodes out. Um, just life has been very busy for me. Um, I'm sure you can imagine with work and transitioning and all of that other fun stuff and just try to juggle trying to juggle everything that's been going on uh you know throughout my journey and and all that stuff um however today i'm uh, embarrassingly about four months late on putting this episode out um four and a half months even i guess you could say but lily is they're a great they're a great guest they they have a lot to talk about they have a lot to say they've kind of become a two-part episode because they well one they talked so much in the first episode um because i hadn't put it out so long they they just had so many so many changes in their life or just so many things like to have changed or happened that they wanted to share more uh, and they felt that it was very urgent so i invited them to come back on the podcast and i was like well you know, maybe we could record like 30 minutes or something just kind of tack it on the end but girl, she like talked for a whole other two hours or something. Um, so hopefully you can, I don't know, enjoy this little bit of her, of her I guess her little moment in time that's just locked there. Um, so yeah, look forward to her part two coming up soon. But anyway, enjoy. Yes, 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 yes. Cross Yes Podcast, which is Elmirasol and Billy. We'd like to have it there, but uh, I'm holding it. That's not going to work. <laughs> hey, it's Billy with the Cross Yes Podcast, the podcast that says Yes to cross dressing, sexuality, and gender. Um, today is officially. April 1st, which means I am an April Fool. Um, <laughs> anyway, today's special guest is uh, Lily. Lily, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, hi. I'm Lily. I am 52 years old and um, starting to connect the dots on sort of um, who I am and, and what my journey is going to be like. Hmm. How, how are you connecting your dots? Interesting. Well, I'll have to tell a story. Um, and, uh, well, let me start this. So, so how do I identify? Um, I am non-binary. And, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of have lived my entire life uh, in, the, in sort of the male spectrum of things, but have always known that um, there are things about me that are not quite what you could put in a box or what you would expect from the categories that everyone else puts us in. And, uh, and I kind of figured that early on, but um, when I kind of tell the story of where, how I, how I started and, and, and where it all kind of came about. Okay. And so like, like most people, you know, when my parents were, uh, when I was young, my parents didn't, didn't have the best kind of a relationship um they fought early on and i was probably i want to say 
four years old or some somewhere in there. Um, that was the first time I ever, you know, my mom and dad were having a fight and I ended up putting on my mom's uh, nightgown and going into bed. And um, that was the first time I ever felt just safety and comfort in, mm-hmm. in this sort of world where I was um, finding myself that just wasn't feeling very stable. And that was the first time I've ever experienced that. Um, and then later on, I experienced additional things. But in the meantime, I had my parents had divorced, and and uh, my uh, my mom wasn't in a position that she could take care of me, nor was my dad. So the the, the judge, and this is in Germany. So I'm, I'm I was born in Germany. I'm German, um, I'm U.S. citizen now. But uh, the judge at the time decided that uh, because neither one of my parents were suitable take care of me at the moment because of the constant back and forth uh they ended ended up putting me in a, in a children's home mm-hmm. and i spent in a children's home about um about roughly six months and that again when you think that the trauma ends it's where the trauma begins <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so um you know the bullying and everything like that because i was always maybe on the surface acting a little bit different but uh, I just didn't feel like it was ever really a safe place for me. Um, anyway, so I was there for a little while and, uh, and then I had met my stepdad who uh, was an American, American soldier. And, uh, we, we learned of him after my mom had already married him. And mm. so, uh, that was kind of interesting. I was open to anything at that point. I just kind of hated my life. Mm-hmm. So it was a four or five years old, uh, five year old dealing with that sort of stuff. Um, growing up, uh, I started to dress more and more. Um, everything was always kind of hidden, though. So I would do it when my parents were at home, or you know, when we were in school. Um, there was even multiple times where when we, we moved to, let's see, um, we we lived in a couple different places. Uh, uh, the, well, the first place I lived in was Georgia, Augusta, Georgia. And let me tell you how non-racial that state is uh, when it comes to, you know, anyone who's not like you or fits into a box. And um, and so anyway, we lived there. We lived in Colorado. We lived in Florida and so forth. Uh, in Colorado, I had an opportunity to, to dress more. That's kind of where I got into my mom's stuff a little bit. And, you know, again, it was always those situations where I was alone and I had an opportunity there and I really enjoyed that. And if you hear the police behind me, that's because, you know, we live in Portland. <laughs> so, in Portland. Um, and so the next place we lived was in, um, oh gosh, in, well, in Colorado. Um, and in Colorado, you know, I, I did the death for a little bit and there was this, um, God, where was this? Uh, we we attended this church, uh, and I wasn't very religious at the time. And uh, there was a Halloween party, and everyone was dressed up. and And my parents had asked me, you know, what I wanted to dress up as, and um, and you know, I had I had done that a few times, and and I think they were aware of this because um, before so before the Halloween thing, they um, my brother kind of squealed on me because one day before school I had you know, always get dressed and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, my brother, um, just decided that maybe I'm a little crazy or something. And, uh, so, so he told my parents who then immediately, uh, put me in, uh, got me to a psychiatrist who wanted to determine what was actually wrong with me. 
Um, of course. And what was and what was wrong with you? Actually, nothing was wrong with me. <laughs> and uh, I didn't perceive sure. anything ever being wrong with me. I just thought, oh, this is something that I really like, and um, it's something that is part of just kind of who I am. And mm -hmm. but not really being able to explain that to the rest of the world uh, because it didn't feel like. Of course, you understand this was back in the eighties. It just it wasn't a thing that you brought out. It wasn't something that you talked about that didn't get a whole lot of negative attention. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of goes back into, well, I'll go into later about why, why that is and, and why I made decisions that I did. But, um, and so, yeah, so they got me in front of a psychiatrist and I denied everything. I'm like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> you know, and, it's just, and so my parents, I think, gave up on me. And then, uh, of course, the Halloween thing came and they asked me, oh, what do you want to be for Halloween? I says, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to dress up. And I remember that my mom looked at me and she goes, well, how far do you want to dress? And I was looking at her. I was like, well, what are you thinking? She goes, you want to go all the way? And uh, I'm like, okay, well, yeah. <laughs> so, sure, I want to do everything. And, uh, you know, so I went 100% female. Um, and the feeling of that and getting the makeup put on and, and, and experiencing that was just incredible. Um, of course, I never really shared that with them and how I felt about that. But did your mom do your makeup? Or yes, did you do it. Oh, okay, she did the makeup, everything. Um, and I have a I have a photo. We were last year. We were on a cruise. I was uh, on a cruise with my parents, and we were talking about sort of different things. And my dad had brought that up because I think he's always had this inclination that um, that I did this or or fancied it in some way, um, and he just he brought up the conversation then he, he forwarded me the photo uh, of me dressed up in Halloween. And, um, you know, in my brain, I always kind of thought, okay, this is what I look like, but to actually see the photo and see myself, uh, I looked very happy. And mm -hmm. it, it was in a time where I was never really happy, but, but you could definitely tell in the mannerisms, the way I was holding my hands, my posture, the way I was dressed, the, that I was, I was sincerely, you could see it in my eyes that I was happy. When you saw the photo, was it like a euphoric feeling? Oh, absolutely. It was like, wow, this is, this is, this is great. And which kind of led me to like, now I do my, my nails every weekend. I dress almost every day. Um, you know, I do a lot of things that, that kind of bring me back to that feeling. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's a long it's a long story there, but um, so we went to the Halloween party and at the Halloween party, nobody really knew um, that I was going to be dressed up as a girl. And I remember walking in and my mom, she, she had a similar, she had like a wig that she gave me um, that she had worn a couple times. And so um, people had recognized her and that. And when I walked in the, the pastor, came up to me and started talking to me as he thought that I was my mother. And, uh, and so I'm just kind of there, I'm just listening, going, mm -hmm, you know, everything's mm -hmm. fine. Everything is good. And he started to ask me questions. And <laughs> at that point I'm like, okay, well, this is not going to go well. And, uh, and, and so he asked me questions and I said, oh yeah, I'm doing great. <laughs> in my little 12 year old voice. And he looked at me and goes, what? <laughs> he goes, my mom's right over there. And he goes, wow, you, you, you fooled me. That was, you look good. And I'm like, okay. 
that kind of made me feel pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was, that was really something that uh, for me was, it was a big thing. Um, And so, you know, that's the only time I ever dressed up for Halloween. I've thought about doing it again, but um, I've never really tried to think of it or use it as an excuse to go and get dressed up because I do it all the time. And so it's never been for me one of those things where like I look forward to it um, as much as, as I probably did back then because I couldn't do it. Other, other use, than that yeah, I mean, you could use it as an excuse to like just get really gussied up and, and yeah. like go all out, go like super glam or something. That'd be really fun. Mm-hmm. I've thought about this, you know, and, and, and part of my um, sort of as I as I mature a little bit in this and grow in this, I, I really focus on like what style do I want? Mm-hmm. And, and how do I want to present in, in the general public? Because that is a goal of mine is to, is to be out in public and to kind of carry on like an everyday thing. And, and, and you start to blend in. So I ask myself, well, how do, how do I need to look and how do I um, need to present myself so that I, I look like just about everyone else? And then you don't get any attention. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't draw any attention to yourself. So that's kind of like where the direction that I'm trying to go with this. Um, is to just be that that inner peace that I feel all the time is wants to come out and that the style that is in my brain of how I want to look is starting to come out as well um, and that's something I'm just more recently developing according to that that style I want it to be more more feminine and more more uh, classy and um, mature because I'm a mature person and so I really try to focus towards that so sorry i'm just rambling i told you i was going to ramble on and on please Um, please do (laughs) ramble ramble away this is your platform this is your soapbox so let's see grew up in so did that um after you know now it kind of went into high school and um after high school i didn't really do anything anymore because i had joined the military and uh, in the military, that's not something that is acceptable. I think even to this day, it's not not an acceptable thing, because in you know, in, in my impression of that is in the combat role, um, the stress levels are extremely high. Uh, you can't have any alcohol on count on combat. You can't have any female interactions on combat, and it just opens the door to again. I'm dealing with the 80s and 90s. Um, of that kind of mentality and the way people were thinking back then, that it's not it's not a safe place, um, and so it's it's more of a distraction than anything else. Uh, when you have to really trust the guy next to you um, with your life, and so I, I kind of understood that, and so I, I put it in a closet and and never really pulled it back out again. Mm-hmm. But I also realized at that stage in my life that my th- the way that I saw myself. Um, in the male form didn't always match with all the other males around me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I don't know how to best explain that, but, but you, we'll you, try. You, you, can try. You, you put me in a group of guys and I'll look from the outside in and see, okay, they're acting this way. I can act this way, but it's an act. It's, it's, I'm acting. I'm not, I'm not being authentic about myself. I, I can definitely fit in with a group and and connect with them uh, up to a degree but i can't um i can't visualize myself as 
being 100% male because I don't think I have ever been there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where, you know, not really understanding that through my entire life. Uh, it's always been like that, but I've never been able to put a word to it or or put an idea to it. It's always been, it's something that I feel, but it's not something I can verbally express. And it's certainly not something that I can visually express because of the traumas and the things that happened to me um, through life. And so I've always been very reserved with that, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. But That makes but, total sense to me. Been so, there, been there, done that. <laughs> so to kind of go down a little deeper well, um, uh, with the military, I, I have uh, unfortunately experienced uh, combat and uh, lived through some things that um, were traumatic uh, to the point, the, the trauma, um, it's not something you want to experience. It's not something that is, I, I would wish on anyone, that, but the experiences that I had, and of course, this is not the kind of podcast to go through those types of things, but the, the trauma and the experiences that I had also shaped the way that I see I see um, other males in this world, uh, and how terribly aggressive and um, and awful they can be towards mm-hmm. one another. Um, you know, and so and so that all I did was just reinforce my own perception of of who I am and my identity, and and how how I want to be perceived in this world, even if I'm in male form. Um, I don't necessarily feel that I can completely identify because I, I know how some dudes can be. Um, and it's not to say like everyone's like that. I'm just, I'm just saying my experiences from an extreme aggression uh, in the military, people are killing each other. They're, they're, they're not nice. They're, they, it's just awful. The things that I've seen um, in the name of uh, this is what we believe um, in the name of this is the way it is. Uh, is not necessarily my view uh, or the view, I think, of most of the rest of the world. And so, you know, that sort of, and I've heard this on a Discord about the sort of radical talk about um, extremism of of one spectrum or another. And, uh, you know, I find that 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 sometimes that, that crosses over into the, I I see it, let's put it that way. I see it and it doesn't really make... um, makes sense to me anymore that, that that's okay that we're okay as modern as we are and as educated as we are that we still allow ourselves to um, return to 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 things that are almost so primitive and and barbaric in nature um and and we see these names and in, in in what we either what we believe or what our social um parameters are going to be or or or, you know, what we perceive as in our own communities as being right or wrong. And it, it sometimes doesn't, doesn't really necessarily transfer or it doesn't really resonate with me. I don't understand that quite. Um, uh, I'm probably rambling. Aren't I? <laughs> keep, keep going. Keep so, going. So PTSD, um, uh, I am diagnosed with PTSD. Um, how does that affect you? How does that affect me? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't go into a male bathroom. I know that sounds weird, but uh, for the, my entire life, I have not been able to, to do that I, since the military. I, I can't. If I go into a male bathroom and there are other males 
I just believe, right? Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't, I can't relax enough. I can't, uh, I don't feel safe enough to, to enter that world. Um, and I don't know why it's, it's just, it, it triggers me and, and I can't, I can't do it. it there's other things as well, uh, that I can't do, um, really loud places I, I, or, or things that are chaotic in nature, meaning there's too much activity going on or too many things happening at once. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I go into a room and there's uh, multiple people talking at the same time, I don't hear any one conversation anymore. Uh, it just, it becomes uh, overwhelming in a way. Mm. And so I don't, I don't, I don't go down that road anymore. So I, I do avoid things like that. Um, I'm therapeutic by the way, so I'm not crazy. <laughs> uh, so yeah, anyway, so that, that I think had a piece to play in it, but not necessarily as much as just, it kind of reinforced what I think about um, just sort of my version of, of my lens that I look through into the world um, and, and where I have trust issues. And so as a result of, of all that, I've always just really focused more on um, the interactions with females, uh, which may be why I work in the industry that I work in, uh, because it is female dominated. And um, I've learned the language and I've learned the, the nonverbal language that women speak. And, and I just, I connect better in that world. Um, I'll give you an example. I had, I had a gentleman who came in the other day who was doing a, uh, it was a, is a sort of a HUD inspection for insurance. So they look at the property and they say, everything works great. All your sprinkler systems, your electrical, blah, 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 everything's mm-hmm. working. And then the insurance uh, company then as- makes that assessment and then they, they determine what your premium is going to be. Anyway, so this guy comes in. Okay. Uh, what do we call him? Uh, Gaston. We'll call him Gaston. <laughs> uh, Gustav. Gustav. He's covered. He's covered in hair. Yeah. So he's like this, this uh, macho hunter dude, and uh, and so he's you know he's he sees me. Of course, I'm not dressed like this at all. I'm also in my complete male form. And, uh, and he comes in and, and just immediate red flags go off. I'm thinking, okay, this is one of those dudes. And, and, uh, and it just, it's the uncomfortable feeling. So, but I know that I have to immediately go into that mode mm-hmm. and uh, meet him at his level, but I don't necessarily have the ability to connect or understand exactly where he's coming from, from that male perspective, because I don't exercise that. I don't, I don't live in that world every day in my brain. I don't live in that world every day. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, having a lot of guy friends who do hunting, like my, my son-in-law is a huge hunter and I love him dearly. And he's a great guy. And, and he's really, he's really the right person for my daughter. Um, but he always talks about killing things. And I'm just like, okay, mm-hmm. I, my background is in competition, competition shooting. I've been shooting competitions for over 20 years. Um, I shoot 1911s, I shoot three gun matches, AR-15s, blah, 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 you name it, I do it. But I have no interest in killing critters. I, I don't know. It's just it's just something about it that, where I start to have a, a disengagement where um, now all of a sudden this doesn't make sense anymore. Again, it may be because it's the act of taking life. If, although be it, it's not a human being, it's still the act of taking life, which when brings me back to that original trauma experience in the middle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe that's why, um, maybe that's why I don't do that, but I do competition shooting, which is 
really all about skill tactic and uh, muscle memory and breathing technique and so forth and how to do target acquisition engagement, blah, blah, blah. Um, anyway, so my PTSD is uh, very stable. Um, I do have Max. Max is a PTSD dog. And um, he's my, I call him my six o'clock dog. Uh, because for me to know everything that's going on around me, to be very attentive to detail um, and have that situational awareness is extremely important um, for me to feel safe. And so uh, Max is a is a, my little companion who goes everywhere I go. And uh, we do a lot of hiking. I think I may have even posted a couple of pictures of our hikes. But uh, where, we, where did you post those pictures of your hike? Oh, on the Discord under... Um, on the, on the Cross-Yas Confidential Discord? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yes. I think that can be found on the crossyaspodcast.com website. Absolutely, absolutely. On the bottom right-hand side. On the, absolutely. Um, and I'll be honest, I, I kind of stopped doing social media a couple years ago, and I've just never really got back into it. Um, but yeah, I discovered your podcast, I want to say about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And um, it was kind of that transition where Giselle was still doing it, and then you started to come on, and you guys took a break for a little bit, and then and now you're doing it. And so I had gone back and listened to all the other ones, and it took me a little while because I would just listen to the podcast. But then I started being interested in in uh, in the Discord because you guys kept talking about it, <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I gotta go check this thing out. And so I went on the Discord and I, you know, I introduced myself, and I've been on there since the first of January of this year. And let me tell you, it is the most amazing place. I have never been anywhere on any kind of social platform of any kind where it really is about a community um, of like-minded people. Uh, you know, you guys are the, some of the funniest, ridiculously commented gals I have ever heard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You guys are so, so funny. Um, and it just feels, it feels, uh, it feels safe, you know, and I, I've even heard or I have read uh, on Discord, you know, when, when people are having difficult times and people are, um, going through struggles, it's, it's, it's sort of this place where we're all kind of doing different things, but we're not, we're all kind of in the same journey in a way. And it's really comforting to know that, um, this is, this is a place where you can come and you can share your heart. Um, good days are bad. Um, they're, they're going to be there for you. And, and I've heard this and I've read this and, and I've even been part of it. Um, I'm happy to be there and it's, I, I wish more people knew about it because it really is um, a place where it's, it's really allowed me to, to, to open up a little bit and, and to feel a little bit, you know, better about being online and being on media because my past experiences has, has not been that great with that. And, uh, and I think that in the, in the world of um, I'm going to say this wrong anonymity, did I say that right? Um, Close enough. Yeah, where we all think that you know we hide behind a screen and can say and do whatever we want without repercussions. This is not that space. This is a space where um, we're really able to share who we are as individuals, and there's and there's acceptance there, um, and that, and that's really special for me. And and you know I I hope to um, be be on this 
on the Discord for a very long time and be very active. Uh, uh, you guys have weird time zones, I swear. <laughs> oh, I know. Well, I'm in yeah, all over the place. I'm Pacific now. I used to be Central, and when I was Central, it was a lot easier to talk to just kind of anybody and everybody. But mm-hmm. now that I'm in Pacific, it's it's tougher because everyone goes to bed around like. 6 30 for me so yeah me too i'm like why are you going to bed so early yeah eight o'clock at night i'm going like okay i'm ready to talk to somebody and mm-hmm. everyone's already said good night but mm-hmm. let's see um <clears throat> so i wanted to talk to uh as well about like situations so after i started doing more cross-dressing and and um, i actually got a therapist who you know started to ask me a lot of specific questions and got me really thinking about this, you know, and, and Ooh, like what? well, so, you know, a, a better understanding of why I feel the way I do. And, um, and it kind of led me to that, the, the road of what binary actually is and, and how I fit into that space. And, uh, and so I started to tell these stories. And then as we, as we spoke more, I realized that, oh my gosh, there's something going on that I knew I was different. But um, I'd never really registered it with myself. But apparently the rest of the world thought I was something different. Mm-hmm. And so um, good, good examples of that. Um, after I got out of the military in Germany, um, I stayed uh, for another four years. I went to the, uh, the German, the Uni, and uh, started to go to fly operations school. And I met this guy who was really into computers. I mean, we were, we were taking the old x86s. Um, you know, this was just like, uh, IBMs, you know, big clicker t- keyboards, uh, XTs and using old Norton commander and old first generation DOS windows three. Um, and then we would put these on the systems, get the hardware working and then take the shareware. Uh, and I did the shareware part cause I had a background in, in computer programming, um, from Apple to, you know, so kind of knew what we were doing. And so I would take the shareware software and, get into the code because back then it was still considered like an open source code and go in there and add like things that the companies that were selling these, these promo uh, pieces of software out, I would put it back in. And so we would have working programs that we would pretty much pirated. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. He did the hardware end of it. I did the, the, the software end of it. Anyway, long story. He and I became really good friends, and one night we were just working late and kind of like working all night on this stuff, and he kind of started to come on to me, and uh, and he just kind of approached me, and then he looked like he was going to reach out and give me a smack around the lips. I'm like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Not okay, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so that you know, kind of, I was, I had to put a brakes on that. Like, that's not who I am. I'm sorry, and I feel really bad. I was like confused. Why does he even think that that's okay? And I had no idea he was even like that. You know, um, maybe I was being naive. Um, other situations have happened. Um, I have, uh, we were on a diving trip in a local, uh, um, they call it the Bagazi, which is um, like a small, small uh, uh, pond that they, they extract minerals and stuff out of. And they, they do that a lot over in Europe. And so we're doing the dive down there and I'm just kind of minding my own business. I was just on my own. And uh, my buddy that I was my part, that I partner was up a little bit further. And so this, this, there were other people there too. And this other person comes up to me and gives me the signal of like no air signal. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to help you. Right. And so I carried an extra, um, 
I don't even remember what that called that anymore. It's been so dang long. And so I always carry two. And so I gave him the other one so he could breathe off of my tank. And he's breeze and breeze. And I'm like, okay, up, up, let's go. And then he goes, no, hold on. And he takes it off and he comes like he's going to freaking do something underwater with me, right? And I'm like, I saw you just kind of push him away. I was carrying a a six inch knife um, with me because I always carry a big knife under Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. jaws. And uh, and so I pulled that sucker out and I kind of flashed it at him like, uh uh, that ain't happening, buddy. And uh, and I and I so I immediately go to the surface and then he finally comes up and I says, dude, I will stab you with this knife. You come at me. (laughs) Dang. And so, you know, it it was kind of shit like that all the time. Um, and then recently, more recently, uh, uh, not, I would say about a couple years ago, um, I had a, uh, uh, chiropractor that worked for our company and he was like coming on to me a little bit. We, we had gone on a couple hikes and I don't know what the hell it is about me. Um, what kind of vibe am I giving off <laughs> that, uh, that people think that that's, that's who I am or what I am, but it's not who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not like that. I don't want to be like that. Guys and, like uh, you know, and uh, and so he he kind of like this chiropractor was saying goodbye because we're we're friends and everything, and he, he just I, I start to walk out and he slaps me on the ass like like a football player, and I'm like no shit we're done. He said I'll crack your back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There would be no back popping here, baby. Mm. <laughs> anyway. Where can I sign up? <laughs> oh my gosh. So anyway, so I wanted to, so that's kind of like, as I was growing up, I was like, okay, this is kind of weird. Um, um, other things that kind of happened to me as I was growing is, is the bullying. And I mentioned earlier that I was in um, Augusta, Georgia. And so Augusta, Georgia was the first place that we moved to uh, when we came to the States. And, uh, um, I didn't speak English at that, at that point. And mm. so I had, I had gone to the German school system for, um, three years and then ended up, um, coming to the U S school system. And I stayed out one year and, and ended up getting into this, into the U S school system. But the bullying, um, that we, that I experienced was just almost horrendous. It, to mind you, it's, it's not that, that I look like everyone else. It's that I, I had an accent. And, you know, learning a new language in this country um, in the early 80s, especially in an area that is, you know, not afraid to say it, very racial, Mm -hmm. um, had very racial tendencies towards people who didn't fit in a box. You know, if you weren't a good old boy, if you weren't tough, if you weren't, if you had an accent, you were an outsider. And and I think sometimes that um, even today, when when we run across people who aren't something we can put in a box but we don't know we fear mm-hmm. and and those kids get bullied a lot i i think that's kind of uh, one of those one of those experiences that i had um and i experienced that i want to say pretty much my whole life in in school um <clears throat> i got to be well known for uh, beating the shit out of people. Uh, so we would go from like, so we went to from Augusta to Colorado and then Colorado, I was in multiple schools because I would go in and I would find the the, the meanest, biggest, ugliest 
kid and I'd just go up and cluck the crap out of him because I got so tired of, of being picked on all the time. And uh, I developed some pretty intensive skills um, uh, in the military. <laughs> in the military, we had a, uh, uh, they call, what do they call that? It's like a combat training thing where they dress you up in um, in like a football helmet and a hockey pads and a, and a catcher's vest. And they give you hockey gloves and this PVC thing with foam on it. Oh and yeah, yeah, the the like the American gladiators. But yeah, 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 it's something like that. And then and then um, the the drill sergeants would. I knew this was happening. They would kind of behind the scenes bet who could beat up who, right? And so here I am, a hundred and forty pound skinny dude with big ears, uh, and they think, oh yeah, let's just put this big guy up against this little scrawny guy, mm-hmm. um, not really knowing that I've been fighting for a long time. <laughs> I've gotten kicked out of many schools. And, uh, and so I go up and I, I hit the guy three times, uh, broke his ribs. He ended up being uh, taken out of that cycle, uh, meaning that that 12 week cycle. And he was in the hospital for a little while and he couldn't continue his training. Dang. And it was one of those situations where like, I realized, look, I can, I can seriously hurt people. If I'm, if I'm angry enough, if I'm, if, if someone comes up after me, I can defend myself. Um, and so, you know, that was kind of that where the whole bullying thing kind of came to uh, fruition for me. And I, and I realized um, after I got out of the military that, um, that I needed to do something different that helped to expel that energy. Um, and it's kind of one of the reasons why I do what I do today. And I'll, I'll get into that in a minute. Um, let's see. Uh, so some of the things that I did, I'm skipping around now. Um, Sports-wise, like someone asked me one time, what do you like to do in sports? And, and I says, well, I don't, don't really do sports. Um, and, uh, you know, if you talk to me about basketball or football or anything like that, soccer I like, but, uh, but most other sports I really don't quite under, understand them in that, in that. I get why they're doing it, but I don't really – it doesn't really uh, do anything for me mm-hmm. as far as, as – you know what I want to do. I do. I do have sports though. Um, I didn't realize this until much later, but um, I really got into sailing when I was little, mm-hmm. and um, and you know that was a lot of fun. But I realized that sailing is a non-gender sport. And it has nothing to do with males or females. It has everything to do with your skill and your abilities to do something, uh, and it's a very social sort of a sport. Uh, I got into it at a very early age. Um, I've been I've been sailing for most of my life. Um, I started in high school, and uh, no, I tell you this story. This is really cool. Um, so I I was so desperate to go sailing, and we were so poor, and uh, I saved up my money, my allowance money, and bought. I went to Kmart right because Walmart wasn't really a thing back mm-hmm, then. Mm-hmm. But the Kmart, and I got a three man river raft. And I fashioned a, a rectangular frame that went around that, that sat on top of it. And it had kind of a board on the two sides, which were kind of your, your center boards. And then I had a rudder that moved in the back. And then I put a kind of an X thing in the front where the mass would go up. And I bought a little three by five tarp, Kmart, and, uh, and fashioned a gaff rig sail out of that. And uh, wanted to go sailing. So we lived in uh, Perry, Florida, which is the armpit of Florida, which also smelled like the armpit because they had a paper mill there, a, a Procter and Gamble or something. And, 
and uh, and the, the is that like on the is that on the Gulf? Yeah, it's on the Gulf. So it's like okay. uh, fifty miles south from Tallahassee. Okay, little okay. little town. And uh, so you're not you're like it's like if this was the 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 Panhandle or whatever, it's like right here. Armpit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so uh, we went to a beach called Keaton Beach. And uh, Keaton Beach is, is a very, it's a nice little kind of um, off the beat, you know, it's not a touristic place by any means, but it's part of the Continental Shelf. The Continental Shelf goes out quite a ways. And so you've got really shallow water for a long period of time before you, you have to go on, offshore quite a ways, which is great fishing grounds, by the way. Um, and so we go out there and I decided I wanted to try out my little new boat. So my dad and my brother, we all went out there, but I was in the boat. So I'm sailing down the canal. Everything is perfectly fine. I get out up the beach. I'm just keep going, going, going. And then my inadequate sailing experience took the helm. And so, uh, I noticed that the, the tide was starting to go out and the, the wind was going out and I was going out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I tried drastically, uh, you know, frankly, to try to tack back and try to get back it didn't quite work out the way I wanted to. So and, uh, I noticed that my, the rigging and everything I had put together was starting to fall apart. And the mast, the bottom of the mast got loose from the framing that I built and went through the bottom of the boat. <laughs> Dang. Oh, and, uh, and the boat started to deflate. Now, mind you, I was probably out about five miles or so. I could still somewhat see land. Mm-hmm. I knew that I wasn't in very deep water, but I wasn't in like five foot water. I knew it was a little bit deeper than that. And so I figured, okay, I'll cut my losses. I'll throw all the rigging off and everything. And I'll, I'll blow up the raft as I'm pedaling back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> back. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so this boat comes by. It was just a, a regular old trout fishing boat. And the guy on it says, hey, let me throw you a line and I bring you on board. And you just leave that there and we'll take you back to shore. And, and my immature mind says, no, I pay a lot of money for this craft. Yeah, yeah. I want to, I can, I can tape it back together. Anyway, so I said, no, just pull me in. So he does, laughing at me, pulls me in. Um, we get there, we get about uh, a mile or so out, and he um, stops. And I'm like, well, what the heck's going on? And he goes, well, I'm out of gas. Let me call my buddy. Uh-oh. And so he calls his buddy, and his buddy comes up, throws him a line, and so now we got two boats and an idiot in the back <laughs> and uh, pulling into the, into the harbor. Well, we get, we get within probably a hundred yards of the harbor or the entrance to the, to the, uh, the canal and he stops and then he, he ranges the calls the Rangers cause he's now out of gas. Oh no. So, Is there a gas shortage? My brother on the shore looking at me laughing their ass off because here I am. You got the, you got the Marine, Marine guy, a ranger pulling two guys that are out of flu and an idiot in the back, <laughs> still well, trying to get up his raft. <laughs> this is, this is your chance to row, it's to, my chance. To, to get some rowing experience. Mm-hmm. You know? There you go. There you go. Well, you know, at the end, the raft didn't make it, um, mm-hmm. but the experience did. So, you know, that was, that's kind of where the sailing, the sailing really took off after that. Um, I did build another boat in Europe. Uh, mm-hmm better uh, but then i really got into sailing and i, I took uh, several courses and everything and then um back in 2011 i bought a bigger boat and i've had that boat ever since and i do quite a bit of sailing now so so that's that's quite quite an interesting sport for me uh just because it it, it kind of checks some boxes that that i enjoy um, but again if, if you talk to me about sports i don't regurgitate what i hear on espn uh, which is just about all I hear. Um, and so that just doesn't really, 
it doesn't do anything for me to watch other people do stuff. I have to be more in in the moment and do this do, uh, do those things on my own. Mm-hmm. And then later on, uh, you know, when I was still in Utah, I I took up motorcycle riding, and I thought, oh, you know, because I'd worked in this community and and the stressful uh, stress. When I say community, I'm talking about senior living community. Um, the stress level was really high in that community, and I decided that I wanted to try motorcycle riding as a way to relieve stress. And I got me this little GV650. I, I'm sorry, 250, and it was this really dinky little bike. Um, I drove that for a while, and then I ended up going to um, a BMW F800 and um, a learning how to ride that. I ended up taking a um, a trip through the BMW um dealership they were sponsoring a trip to zion's national park and to the north grand canyon so north rim and i remember getting there and i was sitting at this table all by myself totally in guy mode because you know and uh i was just there by myself i didn't know anyone i didn't i couldn't connect with other guys because i don't i don't really speak the language that they do and for me basically it's just boring as hell um and so i didn't know this but there were three ladies there that kind of um I guess I caught their attention because I was sitting by myself. Anyway, they um, they came over and said, hey, can we uh, hang out with you and have dinner? And so we started to talk, and, and they were trying to plan out their day. And I said, sure, I'd love to go with you guys. I didn't know this, but one of them is a professional riding instructor. Mm. The other one was a track race gal. And the other one rode probably three or 4,000 miles a month. She was retired, and she rode her 1250 everywhere all over the uh, United States didn't know this at the time so the morning we get up and they said to me okay you can be in the very front and you can take the lead which Mm -hmm. i thought i feel pretty good about taking the lead here right they already Mm -hmm. trust me what i didn't know is that they were sizing me up and so we got down to the bottom of the hill from the campground was a gas station there and i remember the instructor she came up to me and said if you're willing to leave your ego at the side i'm going to teach you how to ride this bike today and I looked at her and I said, I don't have one. <laughs> so I'm ready to go. Teach me. I want to know. Um, I'm, I'm not going to be egoistic. I'm not going to be like that. Um, I'm going to be kind of an empty palette for you to, to, to teach because I really wanted to learn. Um, that day we went to the North Rim. We, we went through um, a, a lot of twisties. Uh, we had 50-mile-an-hour winds. Um, when we got there and came back, we drove through rain. And when we summited, we ran, we went through snow and for the first time on that bike, I got up to 90 miles per hour. And by the end of it, um, my skill level was so much improved because I, I felt like I had a professional riding instructor. Um, and for me, it was better because I've had male riding instructors as well, but it was something about a female riding instructor saying, these are the things I want you to do and watching and, and, and correcting and teaching. Um, that night we all had dinner again, and I I looked at him and says, "Ladies, you're all getting steaks tonight. You're... <laughs> That's my payment for um, having taught me something that uh, would have taken me years to learn." And what do you What do you think is the difference between the the male and the female teaching? Um, ego. You know, I've, I've I've been on some rides with guys, and they'll do the twelve hundreds. I always do the eight hundred. Uh, just because it, uh, the bike is a different bike. Um, and they'll, they'll talk a lot about, you know, 
you, you got to do this. You know, it's, it's very, how do I say that? It's very black and white. And um, there's not a whole lot of room for um, kind of the what ifs. And uh, in female conversation, there's a lot of, well, if this doesn't happen, then you should try this. Or if this doesn't happen, you should try this, which doesn't happen necessarily in the male world. It's more, you got to do this and this, and you go out and you figure it out. And when you figure it out, you got it. And there's not a lot of handholding going on uh, because there is that sort of this idea that, that if you ask for too much help, that you're, you're considered weak or um, inadequate to, to be able to master the skill. Um, and that's just what I've always felt in that world. Uh, from my perspective, again, I'm looking through just my own lens. And, and when I've had uh, female, especially this particular uh, instructor, the connection is different because I, I understand a little bit better where they're coming from and why they're saying what they're saying. Uh, and for me, that's different. And so that, that sort of connection in your, in your, I don't know how to explain it in your brain is a little bit different. Um, understanding and not, not having, not having to try to um, navigate all these nonverbal things that guys sometimes do uh, for me is not, it's more of a distraction than it is actually helpful, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that makes sense. Like, uh, to me, it does. Um, yeah, because I, I, I definitely, I, I get that sense with guys. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe not teaching as much. There's really not a whole lot of teaching, but like with my job, I go to a lot of places or even just other people that I work with go to a lot of places and we, we come across things that we don't, there's a lot of unknown with we we deal with and and mm-hmm. as a professional you know it's kind of shitty to not know what the fuck you're doing <laughs> and it is it is like a sign of weakness to call f- and ask for help or mm-hmm. or you know i've i remember where there were new people that have, that have like started working and you know struggling mm-hmm. so when they would ask for help or, or just say anything it was definitely a sign of weakness and people kind of shied away from them quite a bit and didn't want to work with them. And yeah, which, you know, doesn't help them get any better. That doesn't, does nothing for them. Actually, it actually works against them. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So, so my approach is, is a little bit different, especially like when I'm dealing with staff, um, whether it be male or female, I'm, my approach is more from a female standpoint, I think where I am looking at, well, let's figure out what's going on with you and, and what can we do to, to help. And, you know, what's, what's really going on behind the picture. You know, a good example of that is, is I had a, a housekeeper who is struggling a little bit and the manager, the male uh, maintenance director is just black and white. She doesn't do it, write her up, get rid of her. My approach is, well, let's find out what's going on. You know, is she having car issues? Um, what's going on in her life? What's, what's really going on? Is she, where is she struggling? Um, and what can we do to kind of help her do her job better to make sure that her home life is okay so that she can perform in, in the workplace. And so my approach is completely different versus what his approach would be. And so I think my mindset towards, you know, how I interact with people are going to be a little bit different. And so, um, it's, I don't know, it's difficult to explain, um, because in my world I've dealt with men who have been extremely abrasive and who don't give you the time of day and who expects you to do everything and figure it out for yourself. And by golly, if you have any feelings, you better put them away 
because this ain't the place for it. And, and that kind of mindset is great if you're in a combat situation, but we're not in combat. Okay. We're not in, we're not in a situation where, um, decisions are being made that are life and death. This, this is, this is the real world where everyone has feelings and emotions and, and we're all trying to make it through. Mm-hmm. And when we don't show compassion, when we don't show that, that compassion towards one another, then, um, it sometimes doesn't have good outcomes. Even though yes. we don't really intend to do that, um, I think that it, it's the message is, is received that way. If that makes sense, yeah. I mean, it's like toxic. Yeah, toxic to do all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I can. It's again. It's one of the reasons why I work in the industry I do. Um, when it comes to like my past and, and, and what I want to do in life. Cause I, you know, I've got military background, I've got aviation background and I've got healthcare uh, administration background. And I've, I've come from a world of a very male dominated to very technically dominated to very, very emotionally. Everything is about relationships and everything is about connection. Um, I, I work in a world that, and I love this world where the relationships with people, are the very first thing that you do. Those are the factors that are most important for all the individuals involved. And um, when you when you step away from that and you start to go, well, you know, this is a very technical world or this is a very male-dominated world and you have to do things a certain way, then the people that don't necessarily subscribe to that or work well in that world don't work well in that world. Um, and that's, I think one reason why, why, why I'm in the healthcare industry. Um, but the other reason I'm in healthcare is simply because of, um, sort of this oath that I took for myself early on. And I didn't even realize I was doing it. You know, when we talked about bullying and talked about, but all those other things that have happened, um, when I got into healthcare, I actually, I originally wanted to go into radiology and I had my radiology, my two year radiology. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm a healthcare administrator, so I'm, I'm, uh, I hold an FHA license, which is basically just just gigantic license that I can do all kinds of crap with. It. Um, but I didn't pursue the radiology part because in radiology, you don't have a connection with people. Uh, they come in, they got broken hips, broken arms, whatever, and you're contorting them into positions in order to get those shots. You're not making friends. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they would just assume be there and get the heck out. Um, in, in the senior living world, uh, relationships are everything. If you don't have a relationship, if you don't have a connection, you don't, you don't have a service to sell. You don't have, uh, that's the meaning of what it is to be in this industry is to, is to care for those. And so to sort of transition from that bullying to where I am now, I took that oath to, to defend myself, um, to the best, in the best way that I could. And, it transitioned. Um, I remember working, I was, I was working sort of as a resident advocate um, early on when I was um, still going to school. And I discovered that I have a passion for protecting those who can't protect themselves. Um, because when I was little, it was hard to protect myself from all the crap that was going on around me. Um, when I did finally develop those skills and the ability to say, you know what, I'm going to come after you now, mm-hmm. then I broadened that and I thought in, with my experience and, and my experience has to do with 
with family dynamics in a resident. And so, you know, did you ever hear a resident's worst enemy is their family? No. It's true. It really is, unfortunately. It's not always the case, by the way, but it, it holds true um, to a lot of a lot of residents in this world. Um, and so I sort of took this oath that I will protect those who can't protect themselves because I can protect myself. Let's, let's broaden that spectrum a little bit. So, you know, I will go after people um, for Medicaid fraud. I will go after people for taking advantage of their, of their senior population or their parents mm-hmm. or their grandparents. And I've seen it so much. This, this world of entitlement is just unbelievable. Um, what people think that they are entitled to, which they are not entitled to, um, especially when it comes to certain sort of Medicaid, Medicare um, services that are offered out, you know, that are all taxpayer supported. And so, you know, this this idea of being able to take care of people and do things for them, um, for me, is, is, is the biggest path that I could possibly have taken that fills... Uh, where where I am and what I want to do. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll give you an example real quick. I, I had a resident in memory care who was so afraid that she was going to run out of money. And of course, they don't remember how much money they have um, because they've got other people taking care of them or whatever support services are taking care of them. Anyway, so this resident comes to me and says, um, I'm afraid I'm going to be kicked out. I, I really don't know what to do. And I looked at her and I says, okay, let me, let me help you. Um, let me make some arrangements so that you never have to worry about this again. And she kind of looked at me and said, okay, we'll see. Um, and a couple of days later I came to her and I had got her this little frame, little frame, and it had a certificate on the inside. <clears throat> and I hung it up on her wall next to her bed. And it said, this is the deed to resident X's apartment. Um, she owns this apartment and can never be taken away from her. Okay. You see what I mean? So it's again, so this is the advocacy towards, you know, for the resident to try to, to connect on their level. Um, that's the relationship piece of it. That's the, the, the part that I, that I like so much that really drives me to do this. So I don't see it as really a job anymore. I see it as, as more of my life experience. Um, I've hundreds of stories of where I've, I've, I pay attention to these uh, folks um, and you care for them because they are really, they are our legacy. They are, 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 the, are the people that matter. Um, those relationships that we hold dear are, are, are the people that brought us up. And it's sad to see sometimes there are families that don't see it that way. They, they see, they see the almighty dollar, you know, what can I get an in inheritance versus is mom and dad really living the best quality of life? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, can we celebrate that for them? They've worked, they've worked their whole life to have this, to take care of themselves. And now we, we go into the picture feeling entitled to have that. And you, you don't, you don't have any entitlement to any of that stuff. And, and I see it, you know, I see it so often and it's, it's just kind of saddens me to see. Um, but again, I, I come from the perspective of, I protect those who can't protect themselves and I will go after anyone who hurts the people that I take care of or, or has this perception of going after um, someone I love that they say they love, but <laughs> really. Do, um, do the people that you take care of, do they know about Lily? No, no. Lily, Lily is more recent for me. Um, you know, I, I started, 
um, I started doing the cross-dressing thing after my, my marriage started to fall apart. Um, I was going to get there. <laughs> um, so, so let me tell the story real quick of how I got here. Um, so I've been married tomorrow. Well, actually, Monday will be my 25th anniversary uh, to my currently now my ex-wife but i call her congratulations <laughs> um so back in back about five years ago um this is going to get deep now so back about five years ago um i realized uh, after a doctor visit that uh, i didn't have a lot of testosterone in me um my entire life i didn't have a lot of testosterone in me and um and so they started me on, on, on therapy, testosterone therapy. Um, boy, did that shit go nuts. And so, you know, all of a sudden you don't have a lot in your life. And now all of a sudden you have a lot in your life. And, you, you know, I started to experience things that were not okay. The, you know, behaviors that I started to exhibit were not okay. Um, like what? In relation to my marriage. Well... Well, having an affair sucks. I'm just going to tell you that. Don't yeah. do it. It's it's the dumbest ass thing you could possibly do because it not only hurts your spouse, but it hurts your children and it hurts both sides of the family and everyone and anyone that knows you will think of you differently. And did, um, did the extra testosterone, did it make you more like, um, I don't know, amped up or, or how did it make you feel? Well, I know, like if you live with like turn me into an asshole if that's what you're asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I want to know because if you lived your life like with low T, I'm just curious how it how it feels to be it is... up. Like I, I think about there was an episode of King of the Hill when Peggy's like slipping testosterone pills for for Hank and Hank's like going through like fucking puberty again like mowing the yard taking his shirt off and his muscles are ripped yeah yeah so your muscles get all big and you're and Mm -hmm. you're you know you you experience more strength more energy um but it has bad effects it it causes you to uh, to lose your hair faster it it uh um and i think it changes your behavior to a certain degree where you you think you're something that you're not or at least for me, in my lens, it, it was the perception of being something that I wasn't before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it led me down to, you know, this very shallow type of a road where, you know, I was making these really shitty decisions um, about, you know, those types of things. And and uh, and I just, I just began to really hate myself for that. Uh, and so we, I moved, uh, in order to fix the issue, I, I quit the job. Um, cause it, it had happened at my work and I uh, moved out of state. Um, I did all those things that you're supposed to do when, when you find yourself in that situation. Um, I also decreased the amount that I was taking. So, uh, I didn't feel like, like it was necessary for me being older. Uh, you know, those levels drop off anyway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it wasn't something that I had missed. It was something that a doctor decided I needed. Uh, and so I, I reduced it substantially. And so I'm kind of sort of back to where, where things were before. Um, and I'm, I'm, my mood is better. I'm happier. Um, I don't have as much depression as I used to. Uh, I don't know if tea does, you know, having testosterone does those things to you, but 
it didn't, it kind of made me feel stronger um, and more invincible, but it, it took away the things that I recognized and, and I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. And so um, I reduced it substantially. Uh, I'm on a, I'm still on it, but I'm on an extremely low dose um, just enough to keep me um, with something with something, but uh, yeah, but, but not, not enough to um, ever allow me to go back down that road again. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, it's not, it's not what you think it is. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want or have any intention of going on testosterone. <laughs> Quite the opposite. Um, not on my bucket list. I nope. did wonder, though, for a while, like before I started coming out and stuff, mm-hmm. I always wondered if like all of my stuff was because of low T. I never had my levels checked, but I always wondered, like, maybe it's like just like low testosterone or something. But, you know, I, I OK, so I did some research. And I found out some things that, uh, you know, because that is a subject for me that uh, I have a lot of interest in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has to do with sort of the the way a fetus grows and, and develops in the womb. Um, and I was watching this, uh, I can't remember where it was. It was a, it was a program. It, they were talking specifically about uh, um, this sort of research they were doing on fetuses and um and and why some people uh identify as non non getting i'm going down the non-binary road because that's mm-hmm. that was my road mm-hmm. so i'm trying to figure out how this all works and uh my understanding of it um and anyone can correct me if i'm wrong because i'm usually wrong um is that you know in our minds we uh someone who's non-binary doesn't necessarily always you don't really have even someone who's transgender doesn't really have a male brain and it has to do with a lot of chemicals um, and the development of the brain prior to uh, the development of um, the organs and so you know as we're born uh, you have x y x x x or x y x x or x y x or i don't know i don't know but um some alphabets some alphabet soup right so you've got the alphabet soup there that determine uh because i i think uh, looking through my lenses we all kind of start out with a clean slate and depending on what um, um hormone uh, you're you're expected to have based on whether it's a male or female sperm uh what you know what those what those what that dna is going to look like will determine what your um, physical body will look like in the end, but in the brain, the brain acts a little bit differently, I think. Um, and it has a lot to do with whether or not there is the existence of testosterone or not in the brain during the development of the brain. And from the research that I heard about, um, it said that people who are extremely heavy drinkers, or I'm talking about women, women who are heavy drinkers or heavy smokers, chain smokers, um, in the male portion of it, the testosterone level isn't a signature in the brain during that development, meaning you either have testosterone or you don't. It's not that you have testosterone or estrogen. It's either plus or minus, meaning it's there or it's not there. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my case, my mom was a chain smoker. So, mm. um, you know, I believe that um, 
it was probably some was probably there, but I think that there's there's definitely clear markers uh, in the brain that can identify whether a person is is more female brain or male brain, um, and that's how we that's how we figure out who we are in relation to our bodies. And so when you have someone who who doesn't have that that testosterone buildup at um, in the fetal stage, um, you know later on you realize I've, I am not in. I have a male body, but I don't feel that way at all. And if you took a brain scan of yourself, there's a good indication that you might have those markers that are that are developed at that point in in the development of your brain, where um, that's where the differentiation kind of starts. So you you know you're one thing, but but everyone else is telling you you're something else. And just I think that's where some of this may may stem from. And so for me, at least I'm I'm speaking through my own lens now. Um, you know, if you'll go, so my mother was a chain smoker every 15, 20 minutes. Okay. Um, even early on and she's still alive today, bless her heart, but she's been doing this for 52 years plus probably longer than that. Cause it was before I was born. And, um, you know, so in my brain, I feel like that. I feel like there, there's a male piece there, but then there's also a female piece there and it, it just ties into who I am. Um, and it's not something that I can change. It's just there. Um, it's, it's something that has always been there and it's not something that I can or want to change and not everything on the outside I could probably change, but I've been in this body for 52 years. It, shit works. It works. It's okay. Uh, you know, if, if I were in my twenties or in my thirties, I would look, you know, uh, you know, a transition or something like that might be something that I would, oh, my hair's all fucked up. Um, Nope. There we go. Um, it just it might be something that'd be worth. <laughs> might be something that'd be interested in, but at this stage in my life, um, you know, starting estrogen, doing all, it, everything changes. The method of delivery changes. The, you know, the the outcomes can be different. Um, and so, so is that a fear? Um, no, not really. It's not a fear. It's just I'm. I'm I have developed my life in the male persona. Um, I've built up all these things. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly successful. I love what I do, but I don't want to say that, Oh, I want to be completely female because I live in a world where I have the power to affect change, but sometimes I have to be in the male form in order to do that. At least that's, that's my interpretation of that. Um, and so I, I enjoy both ends of that spectrum where on most days, like, I have this app that I downloaded and it tracks like how often or how many hours in a day you're dressed female and how many days or hours in a day you're dressed, dressed as a male. What's the app and called? It is. Oh, I'm curious now. Sorry. I don't mean to interrupt your story. No, no you're good. I'm going to tell you. It is. It's called. It's a tracker. Eight, a tracker. It looks eight, like that one right there. Oh, okay. A tracker is what it's called. A the capital letter A, capital T, tracker. So okay. a tracker. And I just got it, and it's really cool because it it um, you just turn on and off depending on if you're dressed or not. And so I I discovered that um, I was dressing more female than I was dressing male. But I'm not doing anything like to change my physical appearance. It's 
it's more of a I do this and it's psychological. So um, you know, I we can go into um, um, purging in a minute, but I started doing this and then not realizing. I thought, okay, I'm doing this, and but it became a question of how much am I actually doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started tracking that and I realized that I actually, I'm in female mode more than I am in male mode. So I'll go, I'll get up in the morning. I'll go walk the dog. I'm in female mode. I go to work. I'm in male mode. I come home. I'm in female mode before I walk the dog again. And then I'm in female mode all night. And, and on the weekends I'm in female mode all the time. So, so mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but that's only when I'm home. When I go out, I'm in I'm in female mode, but I'm only in uh, underclothes, and so uh, things that you can't physically see um, uh, on the outside. So I don't wear women's clothing on the outside, but I wear all the women's stuff underneath, and I do that twenty four seven. So actually, yeah, I don't. I yeah, it's it's twenty four seven, and um, um. And I like it. And I don't want to go back to that. And I have like, so there's this trip that we took um, uh, this last year. I went to, excuse me, uh, went to Barcelona and then we took a cruise across the ocean. And I took, I take, I took two pair of male, male underwear and then everything else was all female stuff. And we were on the boat and we were in Barcelona for a couple of days and then we got on the ship and we were three quarters of the way through the ship. And my mom says, Hey, you know, if you want to give me your dirty clothes, um, we can, we can get it all taken care of for you because, you know, they always have the upgraded cabin, the upgraded executive, whatever the hell suites. And, uh, so they got all the services for free. And, uh, so I gave her all my clothes, but I don't give her my <laughs> other stuff. And she comes back and says, you know, t- yeah, we did the laundry for you, but we just noticed that, did you pack enough underwear? <laughs> Yeah, and, you, uh, you wear them inside out to get double wear. Duh. No, no, I had all female stuff, and, no, and I, know, I, I know, I didn't give it. I didn't give it to them. And yeah, you can you can wear them four days. <laughs> I mean, if you're a guy too, you just wear your underwear more. Yeah, than one sure. Four backwards, inside out. Who cares, right? That's like eight days. Eight days. Eight of days. <laughs> if my underwear days. math is correct, <laughs> it's I'll be uh, a little one, break. two, three, four days. Four days. <laughs> anyway i don't even know where i was anymore um what was i talking about you packed two pairs of underwear and your parents were washing them yeah so they were they were doing the laundry and and i gave them the male stuff but i didn't give them the the rest of the stuff and and uh oh, where's my and um i'm gonna brush my hair because it's bugging the shit out of me <laughs> and um uh they were like well did you pack enough? You got enough? Do you need to do the other stuff? And I just looked at him. And I says, you know, um, it's just, it's just my preference to, to do my own personal laundry like that. And so, so I just paid for my own, but that's, it was only a couple pieces. So we're okay now. And, uh, and, and that, that's kind of where I left that. Mm. But um, <clears throat> yeah, the only time I ever wear anything like that anymore is uh, if I have to go to the doctor's office or anything like that. Um, but do I have you, them. But... Do you have anyone that you interact with, Lily? Yes, um, my wife. Hmm. Um, and everyone on the Discord. But um, my so I have to tell you the story of how I got caught in my my first purging story. Yes, um, please tell me. 
so so she had so we, we were we were separating and things were kind of getting really bad and uh and she had left and she went back to the state where we came from and the first thing i did was i went out and I said, well shit i'm free i'm i'm free i can do whatever the hell i want now and so i went to wally world and uh this was before i started buying things online and getting smarter about it but i would walk into the women's um you know delicate section and i would have my phone open and i would act like i'm talking to her uh, and acting like i'm like are you sure it's this underwear (laughs) meanwhile i'm buying something for myself and so i I did that and um immediately went went to that and uh, there was a moment where um, I had went to a dentist appointment and I had really high blood pressure and, uh, and they suggested I go to the emergency room. And so I went to the emergency room, but before I got there, I called her and said, look, sweetie, I'm, I'm, I'm heading to the ER. They tell me my blood pressure is too high. Um, I'm feeling terrible. I'm not feeling well right now. And, uh, so I'm going to go get checked out. And <clears throat> she called me about a half hour later and says, I'm on my way. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? And she goes, well, I, I got a flight. I'm coming out to see you. And I'm going to take care of you. I'm, I'm worried about you. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that's sweet. Let me just pack up these things over here. <laughs> so so um, I will, on my way to the hospital, I put everything in a plastic bag. This was just underwear, by the way. And I put everything in a plastic bag and uh, went to the gas station on the way to the hospital. <laughs> and I put it in the trash can. Mm. And and uh, I went to the hospital, got checked out. She showed up that evening. I picked her up from the airport, and she was there for about two months. Um, and then she had, she'd gone back to uh, to the state where she came from. And uh, and so that was the only time I've ever purged anything. Um, I have gotten rid of clothes, but it's always been because it didn't fit mm-hmm. or it got holes in it and got damaged or something along those never, lines. Never to be a man again. No. No, no. Um, it, it was just, it was like an emergency thing. I, I didn't want to get caught uh, doing that. And uh, and I eventually did get caught <laughs> by her. Um, and we had these long conversations about this. Uh, later on, we've had these long conversations about this. So the, the night that I got caught, I was wearing her nightgown. And we always FaceTimed each other. Again, we're, we're separated um, but we call each other like 10 times a day and, uh, we're very much in each other's lives, but she didn't know that I was starting to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but later on she explained why she knew, but anyway, that's getting ahead of myself. Um, so one night I'm FaceTiming her and I was wearing this shirt and, um, on the side collar, my collarbone was, was the strap to the uh, little nightgown. And it was kind of poking out. And I was, was like FaceTiming her, telling her, good night, I love you, blah, blah, blah. And she, she goes, but what are you wearing? <laughs> and uh, I was like, uh, nothing. <laughs> and uh, she goes, are you wearing a nightgown? And I'm like, I started to fumble the phone and I hung up mm-hmm. on her really fast. Uh-oh. I hung up on her and I got up and I threw the thing off, put a shirt back on and I called her back acting like nothing had happened. And she goes, well, what happened? What did you hang up the phone? I was like, oh, no, no, I was fiddling with it. I just accidentally turned it off. And um, Why did you change shirts? Why did you change shirts? <laughs> and um, and then anyway, so she was pretty upset about that for me for a little while. 
Um, but then as time progressed, you know, she kind of figured out that I was doing that. And, um, and then, and then we had this long conversation about, about what that is, you know, and of course she asks me the, the same thing that every wife asks their husband, are you gay? Because that's what they ask, uh, because they don't know what they don't know. And I said, no, no, sweetheart. It's not like I, I am. I am, I only like females. I only, uh, only want you. You're the only thing I want. And, and I do this and I didn't know the reason why I was doing this. Um, but I told her, I says, I do this because it makes me feel good. It makes me feel less stressed, which I later found out is actually a true thing. Um, and so for months after that, I, things started to progress a little bit and I started to get into other parts of the clothing, underclothing. Um, I started to do nails. I started to do toes. Um, now we both do our toes. So whatever mm -hmm. color she's got, I got. Okay. And I always do, my nails are clear on the weekends, but sometimes they're colored. But mostly they're clear because it's, for those of you that are new into this, uh, if you add color to your nail, then Monday morning when you have your staff meetings, they will see residue of the color on your nail. And so I go clear so that I'm always in incognito so that it comes off really fast. If there's any residue on there, you don't notice it because it's clear. And so um, that's the reason I, I do that. But anyway, I'm off on tangent again. Um, I, I so do a, I do a clear coat because the, if you leave it on too long, like the polish, some certain polishes can like stain your nails. It does. It does. It stains my toes because my toes are colored. Mm -hmm. But I found that if you, uh, you got to go through cycles. And so if you if you have the color on your toes for a little while, let's say you do it for two or three weeks, then you take it off and go get you some, um, it's like a toenail rejuvenator thing. You get it at Wally World or whatever. And uh, you, you put that on and that actually helps to get rid of that. And then I let my toe stay unpainted for a couple of weeks and then I go back to the color. And so it's always this sort of a cycle um, so that the toenail, because what happens is, the, the, the nail product dries out the top of the toenail and it actually dehydrates it to the point where you start to get those, those, that discoloration. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that your toenail is getting sick or bad or you're, you know, you're just too dry because you don't have, you don't have any moisture getting to that nail anymore. Um, and so with that, with the medication you can get, it's over the counter stuff. It actually uh, amplifies the speed at which the moisture is mm -hmm. brought back into the top of the nail bed. Um, and so I just go through these cycles with it and it works out really well. So, <clears throat> so now, uh, you know, I started to shave my legs and I was kind of doing just the thigh thing. And then I was doing the nail thing and then I was doing the whole pantyhose thing. And then it just, it was, everything kind of happened in these little stages. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what I wanted to do was go as fast as I could possibly go. But I knew that the only real the only way to do this the right way was to go extremely slow and mm -hmm. to not go fast and to really take my time, take my time um, and not, and not try to do everything at one time. And so I would focus on my nails. I would focus on my shape. I would focus on sort of my hair and the clothing that I have um, and just slowly go through each piece, little piece by little piece. It, it can be very overwhelming to go to go all at once and, and with every fucking thing. Yeah. Um, 
you'll make more mistakes than than not it's just like kind of part of the experience to take your time if you can and enjoy yourself i think so i think if you if you just take it super slow and enjoy every every tiny little step is is a little bit of a celebration and um and when you slow down to sort of smell the flowers along the way and smell the you know the that little piece of I finally figured out what freaking bra size I am. By the way, women's sizes, who the, who the, who the hell came up with that shit? No, because... I want to know your bra size. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's it's everything. It's shoes. It's it's dresses. It's, I mean, holy freaking hell. Every company has their own guideline for doing this. Mm-hmm. And, and nothing is, like, in guy sizes uh, – yeah, you've you've got there. You know, it's very basic: small, medium, large, extra large, blah blah blah, and everything is consistent across the board. But I think that women's shape um, and women's fit, uh, physique is so unique, um, and everyone has such a different shape to them that maybe that's sort of the thing that drives that. Um, and so I stopped looking at sizes and I look more at measurements. Hmm. So I'm looking at the, the, the chest measurement, the, in the bust measurement, the hip, the, the waist and the hip, um, the arm length and the, the leg length and things like that. So I, I measure myself and then I buy products based off of those specific measurements, regardless mm-hmm. of what size they are. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot we- of, a lot of women's clothes are just like tighter too. Mm-hmm. And they hug the body a bit more. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I know, I know it's like guy clothes, like off. Oh all of my guy clothes they all fit fucking terrible regardless mm-hmm. of the size mm-hmm. they were always either like too small or too big mm-hmm. yep yeah yeah and, I, and, the, and the color pattern or the color palette for <clears throat> for guys are um, terrible i mean you got gray blue black mm-hmm. What's pretty it? much i mean there's no there's yeah. no individuality there you know, it's, yeah, I know that that's honestly, that's traumatized me because I don't really like wearing blue. I don't really like wearing gray. I don't like wearing black. Yeah. I think that's part of the reason why I tend to go for more of the like warm colors. Um, Mm -hmm. I know for me, it's, it's, it's like a reminder, I guess. Yeah, my wife wears all those colors like that. She likes black and in sort of um, bland mm-hmm. colors like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I shoulder my wardrobe, and I have a lot of colors. I love colors. I love patterns. I love mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And she made the comment to me the other day. She said, "Wow, you really, you've got a lot of color there. You're, you know, you really have a lot of different. Your 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 closet is very vibrant, and and to me, it's happy." Um, it's happy to, to be something that's not bland and um, it's, you know, too simple in nature. Um, oh, gosh, man, we went through a lot. Now we get, oh, um, so, so as I am starting this, this journey, doing more of this, so it's the beginning of this year, I started doing hair, I started doing makeup, I started... Mm-hmm. You know, really kind of refining little things. You know, you, you, there's certain things you need to do. Um, 
And I find that taking a little bit of time and going slow with it and um, understanding the processes, you know, YouTube University is great for, uh, it, it didn't, it didn't used to be like this where I could go on um, a YouTube and look at makeup for trans folks uh, or anything like that. This didn't exist, you know, five, 10 years ago um, because it is different makeup. It is different techniques. It's um, there's a different styling with it. And, we didn't have that ability to, to do those things. And uh, I'm just thankful that that is there now um, mm-hmm. because it wasn't there, you know, a couple of years back, it just didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I do, I do a lot of that. I, I watch a lot of videos. I watch a lot of stuff like that and, and learn um, as much as I can uh, from those. And then I start to experiment on my own until I get it right. <clears throat> and let me tell you the very first time I put on makeup, who looked like a raccoon and <laughs> and it was and it she's a little funny. a little less um eyeliner a little less eyeliner, yes and so i kind of know where where i fit and so i'm refining that now um also as you age i'm learning that um your um the way that you put on makeup the things that you do with makeup need to be a little bit different Mm -hmm. i'm in my 50s so eyeliner uh, not eyeliner but um um, mascara is different for older people than it is for younger people Mm -hmm. my my eyelashes are are starting to to get thinner and and fewer Um, i've discovered a product i gotta go pick it up today but it's for the 50 plus lady who uh, it's it's a different design uh, or has a different different type of stuff in it that's really designed for people with less lash or less lashes or, or thinning lashes, and so you know I'm I'm always looking for products that are more uh, sort of age appropriate for me. What are they? What's it called? Um, let's see, because I'm sure some of the cross yas listeners would probably like to. They might like cool. to know. They might like to look it up. Let's see here. I mean, this isn't a sponsored video by them, but if they would love to, <laughs> uh, you can find me. I'll be more than happy to. Yes. Present. While you're looking that up, I want to ask if you have any, because you're, you're kind of going through like all the, the baby steps and small steps and stuff. Do you have any like goals for the year? Or, or not even necessarily the year, just do you have any goals with, with your gender exploration or, or expression or, or whatever it is that you are, or you consider it? Well, so, so my goal is to, um, I want to be out in public. I want to get to the point where, um, I am 50% possible, um, that I can actually go out and, um, enjoy an evening eating or doing something like that, or even with other people. Um, <clears throat> you know, I haven't really found people that are like me in this area, although, you know, I live in an area where there's a lot of people like me, uh, but I haven't really uh, gone out to uh, really explore that. So if you're in the, if you're in the PDX area, <laughs> I know, I know a few people, um, Bray, the episode I just put out, she's up there. Oh. Um, she's amazing. she, her and I went and did a bunch of shit. Um, she's also trying to get out there. And oh. um, I mean, I'm not trying to like say, Hey Ray, go hang out, but y- there's people there and, and, you know, mm-hmm. 
you so start you start putting yourself out there, you're mm-hmm. going to start finding those people to connect with. You're never going to connect with those people until you're out there, you know, like they have to see you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. They do. And that's, that's like one of the biggest challenges I've got this year is to um, sort of work up to that, <clears throat> you know, doing those little baby steps. My ultimate goal is to um, to do this more. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, whether I come out at work or not, I don't know. That's that's still kind of to be seen. But, um, you know, and then coming out to my family, I mean, my wife knows, but um, I don't know. And that's one of my biggest fears is that that sort of unknown of how how is this going to how is this going to impact the people around me? Um, because I'm not I'm just not asking them. I'm not just telling them, hey, guess what? Um, I, I have this sort of side of me that I've never really, that's always been there, but I've never really explored and I've never really let out. And now it's out <clears throat> because um, when you do that, you're asking them to, to accept that and to change that about uh, you know, their feelings or perceptions of you. Uh, and, and sometimes those, um, those individuals those are, are the people that you tell don't have a grasp or don't have an understanding of the idea that there's more than two boxes uh, that, that we can put somebody in. And, um, and a lot of times that, that will lead to, um, you know, sort of dissolving of relationships um, or changing of relationships or perceptions. And so those are all things that are very, very difficult um subjects and uh, and they have to be weighed very carefully mm-hmm. of course, <clears throat> you know? of course. And, but i think that i think it's worth doing i think it's worth um exploring those things and um and i know that when the time is right that we're going to get there it's just a matter of <sighs> getting there and uh, <laughs> so i got i have to ask is is there anybody in your current circle besides your your wife that you you think or that you're you're fairly positive that would be supportive Hmm. because i mean i'm not telling you to you know you need to go i can go out yourself to everybody or anybody but Mm -hmm. having finding that like one or two people of support is huge it is it's really really huge and i know i can I don't want to say it'll, you know, snowball shit, but it definitely makes you feel better about yourself yeah. when you, when you see that person, just interact with that person. That's like, I see you, I still support you and I, I love you. And you know, it, it doesn't matter all of this. Shit. I just want you to be fucking happy. Yeah. Having, having that, that person there is, is it just makes things so much better. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. Totally agree. There, I, I do have some friends that you know. Uh, I've got one particular friend that I'm pretty close with. We we do a lot. Of, we hang out a lot. <clears throat> we do a lot of things, and and he's you know, he he hasn't directly come out and said anything to me yet, but every once in a while he drops these little hints. That's that's kind of like, you're not quite like the other boys, are you? <laughs> I probably knows. So he probably knows. So. Um, I may work up the courage to just let him know, like, hey, look, there's there's things about me that are, you know, a little different. He probably knows. He probably knows something. 
I almost guarantee you probably know something. I mean, my coworkers, most of them knew about me. Didn't say shit. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I'm having my like internal struggles and, and mm-hmm. external struggles even at that point. Mm-hmm. And when I finally told them, you know, they're like, yeah, I know. Whatever. It's fine. But, you know, yeah. they, they, they know, but they're still talking to me and they're still interacting with me. It's interesting because the that psychology of, um, you know, us jumping off the cliff versus now what I mean by jumping off the cliff, I mean, I means taking taking that risk uh, versus, you know, how we would react if someone did that to us. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> when I when I, I have a, a person that works for me um, who I hired a couple of years back and I knew of him in our organization but um but but i basically pulled him from another area into mine uh, to work for my my particular company or my building mm-hmm. and um but i knew these things about him sort of um and he came to me one day and goes well you know <clears throat> i just want to be honest and open with you uh, this was right right when he started with me and he goes um i just i have to tell you that, that i have um i have a male husband he's, he's a male and, you know, and I am gay and I, and this is, this is how I identify. And I looked at him and I said, and how does that change our relationship? How, how? I don't mm-hmm. understand, you know, I, and I told him, this is whether you tell me or not, doesn't change how I feel about you. Um, you're, you are who you are. And that doesn't, you know, anything different. It just, I, it just doesn't resonate with me. Um, I respect you for exactly the person you are and I expect you to do X, Y, and Z for me. And we're going to get along just fine. We, I, I've known him now for four years. Uh, he's worked for me for that long and, and it doesn't come up. I just, I don't see him as anything different than what I, what I know about him and the type of individual that he is. And he's a great, great individual. Mm-hmm. Um, we get along really well. And you know, everyone knows this about him he he's never been one to say i'm going to go quietly and we're just not going to talk about that he's very he's not openly like the persona of what you would expect someone like that to be mm-hmm. you know like you know just kind of crazy and sometimes they kind of over exaggerate themselves i think um he's like a normal everyday kind of a person who you would never think twice about anything other than that he is an incredible person and um and you can see it in some of the mannerisms but nobody cares everyone loves him exactly the way he is for who he is and and no one no one bats an eye no one says a negative thing you know and and i and it was difficult it's difficult when you're coming from the other side because you you build up all these these ideas in your head of of what you think people are going to react to, and in reality, a lot of it doesn't really happen. Mm-hmm. In the end, people go, "Oh yeah, I knew this about you all the time." You know, I've had, I've had, I've had some of my staff recently make more like, "Hmm, he did his eyebrows. Hmm, he doesn't have the hands on hair on his hands like he used to," or you know. Or hmm, he kind of moves a little different than he used to move. Um, and I've had those things. Uh, I'm, I'm more aware of the fact that they are starting to pay attention to these things. Um, but so you, ne- you never know. I may go down and slowly s- start to kind of say, yeah, yeah, I'm just a little bit different. I remember showing up to a meeting 
uh, it was a couple of weeks ago and I got up late in the morning and I was just exhausted. I got ready for work and I went to work and I'm, and I've got the, the company HR person, head of HR in, in my morning jump meeting. And I looked down at my fingers and I realized that I got sparkly hands. That's cool. So I'm like, I'm jealous if anything on the, on the thing. And I'm like, Oh shit. <laughs> and so and? I just continued the meeting. I'm like, you know what? At this point, I don't give a shit. I really don't give Did, a shit. Any you know, reactions? No, no reaction whatsoever. And so I know that girls tend to pick up on these things faster than guys do. Uh, just because I mean, if I wear mascara or have my nails or anything like that, they do pick up on it faster. Um, but guys typically don't pick up on it. I mean, they're, they're oblivious. If you, if you walk into a room and you've got red lipstick on and you've got mascara on and you've done your, your, your eyebrows um, and you do an eyeshadow, they're going to notice that. But if you're just being very subtle about it, they don't pay attention to stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, women do pay attention to stuff like that. They, they will notice it right away. Um, and I do know some females in my, in my uh, group of people that I have that have started to notice little things. Um, but they don't say they don't say anything out of respect. They won't. They won't. They won't, they won't you they won't to say it. it. They won't say it uh, because I mean, they, you might they, have that one random person that might let it out, but <laughs> I don't know. I highly doubt it. More than likely, they would probably be. They would probably just try to be more respectful. Mm-hmm. I think so because they want you to have. They want you to have the power with that. Yeah, I do. I believe that. Which I think is um, kind of a huge sign of respect. And if they're still treating you with respect and treating you normal and and not like shunning you and shit, that's even with their inkling, like especially with their inklings, like that's, I think that's a good sign. I think it's a very good sign. It's definitely, and and I've noticed this um, uh, transition in culture from sort of the Pacific Northwest um, versus sort of the middle of the country where you've got this, um, the conservative conservatism is, is, is more, it's stronger. So that ability to, to adjust to something different is more, it's slower, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But, uh, uh, but I, I come from a state where before I moved out here that, um, that was extremely conservative and, and, you know, you, you, when you listen to too much of that garbage, um, you start to believe it. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's unfortunate that it's that way. But um, that's one reason why I don't do as much social media anymore because, or news for that matter, because they're not your friend. They're, they're doing ratings just like everyone else. You know, they're interested in that stuff. And, um, and they're not really truly, most, most outlets don't give real truly unbiased perceptions of things. Um, and I, you know, I found a couple of news organizations that are, that try to be as neutral as possible, mm-hmm. but I find that a lot of them aren't. And, um, and, and I find that depending on where you are, um, the general consensus of the population, uh, mirrors a lot of, uh, what's, what's being put out there. So that, so the anti, anti this or anti that movement, um, is is more predominant in areas where you know pe- people are more subject to this sort of uh, verbal vomit uh, from 
from media sources that don't really take time to understand really the both sides of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have noticed that out here it is uh, definitely, I see it a lot and it, it's a normal, it's a normality to see someone in a store who's very different than from the two boxes that you can put yourself into. And, um, and it's one reason why I love being out here. Um, it, it is a safer space. Uh, you should yeah, try I it. I should, I, oh, I think I'm going to try it. I've thought about dressing for Halloween. <laughs> you should try it. You should try it sooner than Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to try it sooner than Halloween. Yeah. Get some practice in. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought, okay, should I, um, should I do like a late night, you know, get in my car and go drive around and, um, you know, maybe maybe go to a mall like 30 minutes before it closes or something or, um, you know, you know do, do things like that. Do little steps mm-hmm. and uh, and then eventually work up to because that's what I did with a with a. So I, I cross dress, but I do it every day. If I go mm-hmm. out with a dog, I have I have sweatpants that are female. I have sweatpants mm-hmm. that are female, um, you know, and I go in the general public like that. I walk my dog every day you know, dressed in female clothing, but it's not, it's not dresses per se, but it is still kind of the everyday things that you would see other females mm-hmm. wearing. And, and I do that currently, but it took me, it took that courage of doing that. The very first time I did that, I was, I walked a dog and it was still dark outside. <laughs> Excuse me. It was dark outside. And, uh, and so I knew nobody could ever see me, but I did it. Um, and I was terrified, mm-hmm. but the fact that I did it gave me the courage to do a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And then it gave me the courage to do a little bit more and a little bit more. And so that's, that's the piece that I'm working on is it's, it's not an all at one type thing. Mm-hmm. It's little by little by little, one step at a time. Um, I now, I have female shoes, the tennis shoes that I wear when I walk my dog all the time. I don't mm-hmm. wear anything else. Um, the only male shoes I have left are the ones I use for work. And, um, and so that's that slow transition piece by piece mm-hmm. um, that it's, so I'm comfortable in public doing it that way, but, but I'm still working on kind of the rest of it so that, so that the blending in works better. And then, and then when I start to get that encouragement and I feel more secure about, about everything, um, then I feel more confidence. Um, but the only way to really build that confidence is to take it just kind of one little step at a time. And then you take that little step and then you review, okay, how did that go? How, you know, I, I'm walking in the woods and, and another male comes my, my way and he looks at me and, uh, but I'm dressed in, in something female, you know, do they even notice? Do they even care? Um, and so I start to ask these questions to myself and then it kind of, I'm like, yeah, you know what? They actually don't. They're probably worried about paying their bills. Or they're they're worried about people looking at them about what they're, they're wearing. wearing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Am I macho enough? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and so, so I think that some of the things that we um, uh, build up in our own minds uh, sometimes stop us. And it doesn't really allow us to move forward um, because of this, either, either whether it be dysphoria or whether it be just the fear of being out in public. And I have dysphoria, you know, and I didn't really realize it until I started dressing and I started discovering things. I'm like, fuck, I am never going back to hairy legs. That shit's disgusting. 
and uh, and I will I will never go back. Um, you know, there's little steps that I can take that I can say these are the things that I will do from now on. These are the things that make me happy, and and I'm okay with that. And you know, when we're in our 30s or, or early 40s or even our 20s, we give a shit about what other people think. Um, I'm I'm in my 50s. I don't give a shit what people think mm-hmm. anymore. I just don't. Um, and, and, and the more that I focus on when I'm out and I think about, okay, what's this person thinking about? What's this person thinking about? I realize that they just don't care, mm-hmm. you know, and even if I didn't pass, even if I went out and they, what are they going to think? What are they going to think? It doesn't matter what they think because exactly. it's their own perception of, it's their own perception of. I want to see you get out. The there. lack of what they learned growing up, mm-hmm. right? It's the it's it's the it's sort of the idea of well, when we're little children, we're we're led to believe in certain things, mm-hmm. and as we grow up, we we believe them without without actually questioning them, and so it it kind of goes to this whole. Um, you know, I use this analogy all the time. It's called the ham theory. We always do things. And we don't even know why we do them. Well, we think about, you know, people of transgender. We think about um, non-binary people in a certain way because that's always what we were led to think, right? And so the, the ham theory goes like this. <clears throat> this guy brings home a ham. He goes to the state fair. He brings home a ham. And he gives it to his wife and says, sweetheart, can you, can you cook this ham? And she says, sure. So she takes the ham, puts it on the counter, takes a knife and cuts the two ends off and puts it in her pot. He goes to her and says, well, why the hell did you do that? And he says, well, she says, well, I don't know. That's just the way I've always done things. It's always in my head. I always thought this way. Mm-hmm. And she goes, well, well, who taught you this? And he goes, well, my mother taught me this. Mm-hmm. And so she goes, well, he goes, well, well, won't you ask her? So she asks her. And that's and what her says, mother taught her. That's what her mother taught yeah. her. I don't know if you ever heard this before. But, I heard that, yeah. Oh, okay. And um, and so he finally gets to the grandmother and says, well, why did you cut the ends of the ham off? And she says, well, I don't know why you guys are doing it, but my pan was too short. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think we, we, we kind of lose ourselves in this idea of everything has to be a certain way because that's how we grew up or that's how our grandparents grew up. Um, it's, it's when you start to realize that, that things aren't always – the same as they evolve mm-hmm. the, the cultures changes society changes the idea of Beat who change. we are changes with time once once we get out of that box and, and we start to really um start to think about the, the world in this way that you know my wife and i took a trip to uh to um to france a couple years ago we went to germany and you know the the neuschwanstein castle the one in germany the big one that looks like the disney castle Sure. Uh, anyway, so we took a tour there. <laughs> it's the it's the one that's that the Disneyland model there. Oh, okay. Castle after. Anyway, so we went through the tour, um, and they started to describe the the architect and the guy that did that, and he lived not too far from there, and he commissioned this. So out of the out of that castle, there's only two or three rooms that are complete. Everything else is unfinished because he died. Well, how he died was interesting because it was mysterious how he died. And um, so me, my wife, and my mother-in-law were all walking through this tour, and my mother-in-law was the first one to cue. She told my wife, she goes, I think he was gay. And then my wife and I look at each other, and we got all this data in front of us, and we looked at each other and goes, okay, first of all, no straight guy can build a castle that pretty, okay? And the circumstances under which he died kind of 
kind of point in that direction. Mm-hmm. And you can't say it, but you can think it. And I thought, okay, well, so this has been going on for an eternity. We have mm-hmm. we have been like this for forever and ever. There have always been people that have been like this. This is not something new. This has been something that's been around for a very long time. It's just only now that we're we're at a place as a human society where we can say, yes, there are differences. There, we're diverse enough. We're we're we are enough people. We're uh, we're no longer uh, trying to to put everyone in certain boxes, um, and and we're all more free thinking as a result of that. And so now we're now we're exploring this. Is it is it really bad? It's not. It's just it's a part of the human conditions, part of nature. Um, that how, how, we're accepting this. Yeah. How how do we help make that change? For me, so like, how do we change people's perspectives on on you know their learned ideologies of what trans people are? Hmm. I, I would say one person at a time, um, it, especially in the news right now. Uh, when you visibility. see all these, what's that visibility? I think visibility is important, um, but but you know, of course, there's a lot of news out there that portrays trans people as very bad. Um, again, what we don't know, we don't know, or what what we don't know, we fear. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that having a better understanding um, and actually taking a moment to turn off the noise around you and uh, to listen to yourself and start to ask yourself certain questions and not allow the outside influences, the media, the social, social platforms, and the, just the toxic verbal shit that is spewed out there. Um, that's one person's or another person's opinion, um, is, is still allowed to happen. And, and until we as individuals look at this and go, I want to understand this better. If I, if I have a better understanding, then, then I can form my own opinion. Um, I think this country is stuck in its inability to have its own opinion. Um, we just regurgitate everything from sports to news to politics. To, we just regurgitate. Um, and, and we've allowed certain groups to manipulate or be the, the stewards of um, our children. When we are the parents of our children, we've allowed them to be the stewards of of society and how we are going to interact with that society. And it's, it's those few groups that are causing more damage than, than good. Um, it's until individuals learn to turn off that outside noise and really start to ask questions without biased input from others. Um, at that point, I think we will start to understand where, where people are actually coming from and, and who they really are and why they are the way they are. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And I, I'm the worst person. I used to be very sort of transphobic in that way because of what I believed was uh, what was taught to me at an early age, you know, mm-hmm. that that was Same. a bad thing or, you know, that, that those type of people were sick or, you know, mm-hmm. there's other things going on. I don't believe that anymore. I shut it down. I turned it off and I let it be quiet. And then I revisited it and I discovered these things about myself. And I see the world completely different. I'm I'm no longer I'm I'm no longer part of this this 
conveyor belt of misinformation anymore. I, I, I can think for myself and I can form my own opinion. And uh, I don't need someone else to tell me how to think or, or what to say or do. Mm-hmm. And, and I think until people really understand that and sort of get their head out of their ass, um, we're going to continue to do this. This is a cycle that keeps repeating itself. Um, Abraham Lincoln said, if you forget, you repeat. If you forget the past, you're doomed to repeat it. Um, we've done this with with um, the civil rights movement. We've done we've done this with so many times. This is nothing but more of a cycle of a continuation of what we have fought for, our rights, um, and people's inability to change because change is difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Having really shutting things down and really understanding is difficult for people to do uh, because either they don't have the tools or they 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 don't want to put the effort into it. You know, and so it's easier to point a finger and it's even easier to say something negative about somebody that you don't know about them than it is to uh, to really have a good understanding and open your heart. OK, um, I agree. Uh, and I and I really, really want to see you get out there because I, I can just see I see like the blossoming. It's going to happen and you're going to be fucking glowing. I just I can fucking see it. I sense it. It's going to happen. Um, and I and I really, really, really want that for you. Um we are running out of time, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Send pastors new rules or whatever. So, um, I want just kind of want to start winding down, and, and just I wanted to to just ask if you had any any last things you would like to say, or anything you have questions for me, or things you'd like to see in the podcast. Or I'm glad um, I'm here. I am. I am very happy that I'm here. I am. I. I found this platform, um, and I, like I said earlier, anyone out there who is at the beginning of this, you know, take your time. It's. It's a journey. It's really. It's an incredible journey at that. Um, be part of the. Be part of the discard. It's really a family. Um, I, I have seen highs and lows. And um, everyone in there is just funny as shit. Um, it's a great place to be to feel safe. And um, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want to go anywhere. So you guys are just amazing, and the podcasts are amazing too. Uh, I listen to them all the time, and I've often wondered about what I would say. And I thought, okay, I'm going to be really filtered about this. And two hours worth. Say, and yeah. I feel like you have so much more to talk about. I do. Hopefully I can uh, come back one day and, um, and share more in the progress and everything. But I would just want to tell everyone out there who's, who is part of this journey that um, you're loved. There are always going to be people that care about you. Um, we care about you. And, and this community cares about you. Um, and if you ever feel down or feel, feel depressed or you, you need some help, you know, the Discord is a great place to start. Um, I have sought therapy as well for, for depression and my PTSD, but I, um, just, just get, get, get some friends, get some help. We're out there Mm -hmm. and it's not the world that it was 10 years ago. It's not the world that it was five years ago. Um, it's, it's really a different place and, uh, it's very beautiful when you get there. It's very, for sure. For sure. And I know you're going to get there. I feel it. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I want to hear your story of of 
you going out and doing whatever fun, crazy thing you go and do. And I cannot wait to hear that and put it out there. And I can't wait. Can't wait. I'm there. Um, I'm also really hungry too. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> I lunch. Um, so on, on that note, um, if you don't have anything else, we have two minutes. Uh, I just want to say thank you for, for coming on the podcast and sharing your, your brief bit of your story. And, and I guess that I just, I can't wait to see what, what you grow into. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. You're an awesome person. Let me tell you. you. I'm no one special. I mean, I am special, but. (laughs) Oh my goodness. You made my day. (laughs) You have a good one. You too. Cool. Thanks again. We'll see you. Bye. Bye. Hey, uh, just a quick reminder. I'm not here to diagnose or treat anything. I'm just here to share my story, have others come on the podcast to share their story, to help you learn about the world of cross-dressing, sexuality, and gender a bit more.